So then let's start our Dhamma talk with the Namo Dasa three times in Pali. <coughs> Namo Dasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Dasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Dasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa So as we are engaging in metta meditation practice, naturally I will talk about metta. First, I will touch the basics of metta again shortly, and then I will uh, give further explanations, illustrations, and advice. And to begin with, I want to quote the Buddha. At one stage he said, Better than offering 100 pots of rice three times a day is the practice of metta for one single moment. So this statement of the Buddha shows how effective and how beneficial the practice of metta is. And One moment is the time it takes to either blink the eyes or snap the finger. So if you have pure and genuine metta for this short period of time, this is incredibly powerful and it results in great benefits and um, also uh, unexpected effects and results. So as you have seen last night, metta is the Pali word and we usually translate it as loving kindness. We also can call it friendliness or benevolence, amity or universal love. And so the nature of metta is spreading uh, benevolence and the wish for every sentient being to be happy and well. When we translate metta as love, then we have to be careful that we do not confuse it with the rather worldly love of a couple or between parents and children or between lovers. Because that kind of love, that kind of worldly love, is very often tainted with feelings of attachment or clinging, holding on. And there are also uh, unspoken expectations or a sense of dependence. But on the other hand, metta is a state of heart or mind which is completely free from any attachment, from any craving, from any dependence and also free from any kinds of expectations. So therefore, if you want to use the word love, then it's better to describe it as unconditional love because metta does not impose any conditions for love or metta to be there. Or, in other words, as my teacher, Jamie Sayado, or Sayado Ujanaka, as is also known, has said, metta or love is attachment, whereas metta, universal love or unconditional love is detachment. 
Metta, loving kindness, friendliness, is a mental state or a quality of the heart that we are all endowed with to a certain degree and it can be further developed through practice. Metta is a completely selfless state of mind or heart and it is beneficial for oneself and others. And it is beneficial in the here and now, right now, and it's also beneficial uh, for the future. As we have seen yesterday, through the development of loving kindness in ourselves, then when it becomes strong and powerful, all forms of dosa, aversion, anger, ill will, and so on, are absent. And, as I just mentioned before, pure, genuine metta is also free from all forms of loba, which is attachment, wanting, desire, clinging, holding on, and so on. So metta meditation, then, is the development of that mental state which wishes for the welfare and happiness of all sentient beings. So this practice opens up our heart and finally includes all living beings in our sincere wish for happiness and peace. And with this sincere wish, there are no uh, uh, conditions for that, but it's unconditioned limitless and boundless. So metta meditation means that we have to develop this quality in ourselves and to do so we take either ourselves or other persons or all living beings as the object of metta meditation. As I explained last night, this practice of developing loving-kindness is not done in order to send out our loving-kindness to another person, to other beings, in order to make this other person or all beings uh, happy and well. So we do not send out anything. We do not try to channel anything to another person. We only take this other person as the object of meditation in order to develop and strengthen this quality in ourselves. But as I said, it doesn't mean that another person or the beings do not benefit from our metta. It doesn't mean that they will not be affected by our strong feelings of loving-kindness. So when we talk about metta, we should carefully choose the words. Like saying, sending metta to another person is not a real uh, appropriate description. Better it's, uh, it's to say, to develop metta, to cultivate loving-kindness, or then when metta, loving-kindness has been de developed, um, it is radiated because that just happens through its own strength. We do not uh, need to do that. So when our heart and mind is full of metta, when the feeling of loving-kindness, of friendliness, of benevolence is really strong and powerful, then the mind itself is metta or the heart itself is radiating metta. This just happens naturally. It doesn't need to be, in, uh, to be done on purpose. So, having said this, again, the practice of metta meditation of a person will have great and sometimes even unexpected results and effects on other persons 
or other beings. Like this afternoon when I told you the story of this Tibetan man and the dog. So that Tibetan man's kindness uh, had a great impact on that bad-tempered dog. So when we engage in the practice of developing loving-kindness, it is important that we understand the nature of metta very well, that we really understand what it means, what's, what its nature or what its characteristics are. And so the better we understand the nature of metta, then the easier will it be to develop this quality of the heart and mind. So if we get a thorough understanding of what metta is and what it is not, then it will be easier to direct our mind in that direction of those qualities to be developed and strengthened. So here are uh, several ways of describing the nature of metta. The nature of metta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all sentient beings. It is never a wish for something that is not beneficial. It's never a wish for something that is detrimental to that living being. And in the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of other living beings. We never work to create unwholesome results. We never work to inflict suffering uh, uh, on other beings. The nature of metta is always peaceful and cool. It's never burning. The nature of metta is always loving-kindness or friendliness. It's never hate, hatred, or ill-will, or resentment. The nature of metta is always soft and gentle and subtle. Metta <coughs> is never rough or harsh. The nature of metta is always clear and fresh. It never withers. The nature of metta always looks at the good side. It never looks at or sees the bad or negative sides. It never looks for faults or mistakes. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It's never uh, oppressive or controlling. The nature of metta is always concerned with helping. It is completely free from any destructive impulses. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of others. We never work for our own selfish benefits. And lastly, the nature of metta is free from entanglement. It's always free or independent. So metta meditation or metta bhavana, is one of the 40 subjects that the Buddha mentioned for samatha meditation, or calm abiding, concentration meditation. And within these 40 objects, it belongs to the group of the so-called the divine abidings, the four divine abidings, are also called <coughs> the four Brahma Viharas, 
and they are um, sublime mental states which we can develop. And so these four Brahma Viharas <coughs> or the four divine abidings they include Metta, loving kindness, then Karuna, compassion, Mudita, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, or Upeka. So metta meditation as a form of samatha meditation can also be practiced in order to reach the jhanas. And jhanas are states of deep concentration. When the mind is completely absorbed in the given object of meditation. And when one practices in order to attain the jhana, this deep uh, concentrated state of mind, then the meditator feels calm, tranquil, peaceful and happy during the time the meditator is absorbed into that object. So, samatha meditation or concentration meditation can give temporary happiness and peace, but it only lasts as long as one is absorbed in the object, as long as one is in the jhana. But as soon as when one comes out from that jhana, <coughs> then uh, the mind is again assailed by thoughts, worries, problems. Basically, assailed by the defilements. <coughs> because the aim of Samatha meditation is simply to attain a deeply concentrated state of mind, which, as I said, can temporarily suppress, subdue the defilements. But Samatha meditation alone does not have the power to eradicate or to uproot the defilements. And it's only with the complete eradication of all the defilements that perfect happiness or peace can be achieved. And so the practice which is able to um, uproot the defilements, which aims at uh, developing understanding and wisdom, is the practice of vipassana meditation or insight meditation. But any kind of samatha meditation and here, metta meditation is included, can serve as a good base for the practice of vipassana meditation. Metta meditation can also be practiced simply to develop this wholesome state of mind, simply to develop and strengthen the qualities of loving-kindness, of friendliness and benevolence without aiming to attain the jhanas. Samatha meditation and vipassana meditation, they have different aims or they have different goals. But metta meditation and vipassana meditation can um, be very Uh, can practice uh, side by side and enhance each other. For example, in Vipassana meditation, we come to realize by observing phenomena that are, are arising in our body and mind 
that these uh, phenomena are of an impersonal nature. So with the Vipassana meditation practice, we start to dismantle the idea or the concept of an everlasting self, or me, I, or ego. So with that we come to see through the misconception of thinking that this I, me, or self is the center of the universe. On the other hand, through the practice of metta meditation, we come to realize that there is actually no separate I, me, or self that is separated from others. So we come to realize the connectedness of all living beings and see that there is actually no difference between me and others. And so, as the natural state of metta is free from any aversion, hatred, ill will, and as it is also free from any kind of greed, wanting, and desire, so then in doubt with metta, we will fall less prey to react with these unwholesome mental states when dealing with other people, when dealing with other living beings. So the freer the mind becomes and the less defilements obscure the mind, then the more pervasive the quality of metta or loving-kindness can become. And uh, therefore its influence uh, on our behavior will become stronger, more pervasive. So the practice of metta meditation can be a great support and a helpful tool for our vipassana meditation practice. On on the one hand, the burning fires of the defilements, such as greed or aversion, can be greatly reduced and even temporarily extinguished through the metta practice. And on the other hand, through metta practice, our patience and tolerance can be greatly increased and strengthened. And as a result of this, the mind will more easily calm down and feel at ease. And in this way, it will pave the ground for insight, understanding and wisdom to arise. As I mentioned already, metta is this benevolent attitude of the heart and mind wishing every living being to be happy, at ease and uh, to be well. So when we practice metta meditation, then we have to develop this genuine wish by repeatedly, repeatedly uh, wishing it uh, in our minds. And so to do that, as we have already seen, we take a, a phrase which expresses this heartfelt wish. So it could be, May all living beings be well, happy, and peaceful. (coughs) And as I already pointed out, we have to make sure that we do not uh, repeat this word mechanically, but that we stay with the meaning of each of these words. So, With the development of loving-kindness, then over time it becomes stronger and more powerful until uh, it starts to permeate not only our mind and heart, but also our whole body. 
And when our mind, heart, <coughs> and our body is permeated by this strong and powerful feeling of metta, then it will naturally radiate into the near and even far uh, distance. So let me illustrate this uh, with an example that happened a number of years ago when Jamie Sayado or Sayado Ujjanaka was in Canada. (coughs) At the end of a retreat that he was guiding there, he was invited to a bookshop called Banyan Tree to choose some books because it is well known that uh, Jamie Sayado has a great interest in all Dhamma books. And actually, in his center in Burma, uh, there is a vast library of Dhamma books. I think almost, uh, or many, many Dhamma books available in the West can be found in his collection there. So, he was there in this bookshop, sitting in a chair, and having a stack of Dhamma books in front of him and he took one book after the other and flipped through the pages. And as he was doing so, a middle-aged woman entered the bookshop and very quickly she uh, stood still not very far away from Chamye Sayadaw. And after a short moment, she went a bit further up to Sayado and said, Please allow me to stand here. You know, my health has not been good for many years, and I feel weak, both mentally and physically. It's a long time since I have been really feeling well. However, just now, standing not far away from you, quite quickly I felt my strength coming back, both in the body and mind. So, please, may I stand next to you for another while? And Sayadaw gave permission, saying, yes, you may stand here. And so Sayadaw continued to look through the books, and this woman quietly stood there for quite a long time. And after about one hour, it seemed that she felt a bit embarrassed. And again, she went closer up to Sayadaw, having her hands folded in Anjali. <coughs> she said to Sayadaw, Thank you so much for the peace you have given me. Now I feel so happy. And All my physical and mental strength has come back. I've never felt so much happiness and peace in my whole life. And with these words, she turned around and left the bookshop. And apparently, after this incident, Sayadaw commented uh, on it to the people who had taken him to the bookshop and said that it happened because he was practicing metta meditation every day. And so that must have been already for many, many, many years, for decades. And so as a result or as a consequence of Sayadaw's strong and powerful metta, this woman experienced happiness and peace in her body and mind and regained her full strength. So in response to the strong power of a person's metta, beings that come into contact with that metta person will also feel happy, peaceful and serene. This is completely natural 
There are different ways for practicing metta meditation. Besides practicing metta meditation for all living beings, we can also practice metta for specific persons or beings. Or we can practice it for a specific group of persons or beings. And as I said yesterday, traditionally we start uh, metta meditation practice by developing loving kindness towards ourselves. And this is what we have been doing since last night. So now you have been developing thoughts of loving kindness for yourself. And we do that in order to really connect and understand to this deep-seated wish that we all have. Like all beings have this deep-seated wish to be happy, to live at ease and in peace. This wish to be free from suffering, to be free from pain, to be free from what is unpleasant. So only when we fully uh, can acknowledge and understand our wish for happiness and peace can we come to see and realize that other beings are not different from us in this regard. So understanding that they too yearn for happiness and peace, that they also want to get away from misery, suffering, and what is unpleasant. And so then, on the base of this understanding, it's easier to uh, to develop an open, accepting, and benevolent heart for all living beings. And this regardless of their creed, of their deeds, regardless of their sex or position they have. Because as I uh, said and as we know, metta is unconditional love. It's not based on any limitations or conditions. So after we have developed metta for ourselves, then when we extend it to other persons, we will see that it is easier to develop metta to certain persons than it is for others. So for persons whom we respect or persons we feel very close to, it's naturally much easier to develop thoughts of benevolence, of friendliness, of kindness. But for people we have problems with, people we dislike or if there are people we really hate then it's already a bit more difficult to develop genuine thoughts of loving kindness of metta towards them this is uh, only natural and therefore we are advised to uh, proceed uh, with a certain sequence So we should start with a person for whom it's easy to develop and then gradually go to persons for whom it becomes a bit more challenging or difficult to develop metta. And so therefore persons then are divided into four categories. The first category is the so-called respected person, a person we have respect for, a person we venerate, or it can be a benefactor, somebody who has done us uh, some good, helped us uh, in any way. For this kind of person, it's easiest to develop thoughts of kindness because there is already a great amount of gratitude, of kindness towards that person. And the second category is the so-called 
dear person, or beloved person, or a close friend. Usually, it's not too difficult to, to have thoughts meta towards a dear person or a close friend, but because they are very dear to us, or we feel very close to them, metta may be tainted with attachment, with clinging, or having uh, expectations of how this person should behave. So therefore, uh, it's a bit more difficult to cultivate pure and genuine thoughts of kindness. Then the third category are the so-called neutral persons. A person we neither uh, are very close to, not the dear person, and also a person we do not dislike, or a person we do not have strong aversive feelings towards. So, person we somehow just know or we have encountered somewhere where our feelings are quite neutral, neither liking nor disliking. And so for this kind of person uh, it becomes a bit more difficult just because it's kind of a neutral person to us, kind of a stranger. And so to arouse genuine thoughts of kindness, of really wishing this person to be healthy, to be well, takes a little bit more. And then lastly, the fourth category is the a person we dislike, or a person we hate, a person we consider to be an enemy. And just because we hate this person, we dislike this person, uh, it goes, at least at the beginning, against the grain to have uh, loving and kind thoughts towards this enemy or um, that person. But as we practice metta systematically, go through these different categories one by one, our metta will deepen, our uh, thoughts, our uh, feelings of kindness, friendliness, benevolence will become much more powerful and strong. And so by the time we arrive at this fourth category and then try to develop thoughts of kindness towards a disliked person, it's actually not so difficult anymore. And usually meditators very quickly then are able to develop metta towards a so-called disliked person. And then actually, when a meditator has come to that stage, being able to develop metta towards a so-called enemy, but then actually that person is no longer seen as an enemy. So this label, this person is an enemy, has dropped and this person has just become like any other person, a being that wants to be happy and well and so deserves our wholehearted wish uh, for happiness and peace. If one thinks, oh, I um, immediately uh, want to go straight to this uh, fourth category, try to develop metta towards an enemy, this might be a bit dangerous because if the metta is not uh, sufficiently developed, then we might just get caught up in anger and aversion and ill will and not being able to cultivate uh, loving kindness, then the person might conclude that this practice is actually not working. In regard to develop metta towards a disliked person or towards an enemy, I think it is important to note that with the practice of loving kindness, we do not approve of or accept 
an unwholesome or harmful deed that has uh, been done to us. So if somebody has inflicted some uh, mental suffering, if they are deeply hurt, or if somebody has even inflicted physical injuries on our body, so then if we try to develop loving kindness towards the person, by doing so, it is not saying what you did is all right and uh, that this was a justified deed. But by developing metta towards the person, we just try not to fall prey to our habitual or conditioned response, namely to respond with anger, ill will, hatred. Because if we fall prey to anger or ill will, then first of all our heart towards that person is closed. And overcome by anger or ill will, we uh, lose our ability to think clearly or to make appropriate um, decisions. Because anger, ill will um, are mind-altering states which can have a devastating effect on our ability to see clearly, to make appropriate decisions. So then, based on a clear mind filled with metta, we see the situation as it is. And so then we can decide on the necessary steps that need to be done in regard to that um, harmful action that has been done to us. So it doesn't mean that we just uh, stay inactive and do nothing against it. If there is a way and a need and a way to take some actions against it, we do it, but based on a clear mind, based on metta. So, as we uh, have come to see from our own experience with metta meditation, the practice itself, the instructions, are not very difficult or complicated. It's quite easy and straightforward. But then to really do it, uh, that's a bit more difficult. So, it's easier said than done. And this is because our minds are still under the influence of the defilements. That means our mind is still under the influence of aversive thoughts, of ill will or resentment or remorse. The mind is still under the influence of grief, of wanting, of having expectations and hopes and so on. And so sometimes these defilements can become really strong and make it almost impossible to continue to develop metta, to develop thoughts of loving-kindness. And so if this is the case, then uh, we can reflect about the dangers of these defilements, especially on the dangers of dosa, all forms of aversion, hatred, ill will. And we also can reflect about the good qualities and beneficial aspects of patience. And so, to give you some idea of uh, how this reflection can be done. As I just mentioned, dosa, all forms of ill will, anger and hatred, in its stronger forms, become a mind-altering state. And with that, we lose the capacity 
to see clearly what is. And so it can have a devastating effect on our mind of uh, what we think and uh, if we make decisions. And so this means when dosa is present in the mind, then we lose the ability to distinguish between what is good and bad, or we lose the ability to distinguish between what is beneficial and helpful and what is detrimental and harmful. And also, when the mind is clouded with dosa, we do not know any longer what is lawful or what is against the law. And it is said that if somebody has a lot of dosa, then this person will be disliked by many other people or will be even hated. And under the influence of dosa, then we are liable to make many mistakes because we uh, take the wrong decisions. And if our mind is overcome with dosa at the time of death, then we will die in a confused and tormented state of mind. And that, as it is said in Buddhism, is not very beneficial for our next uh, existence. So this will lead to an unfortunate rebirth. It is also said that if a person has a lot of dosa, then this person will grow old faster and may even die sooner. And another aspect is that the person with a lot of dosa, uh, that his or her uh, facial expression is not attractive or ugly. And if that person is reborn uh, in another existence, then as a result, that person could have a very ugly uh, an ugly body, ugly facial expression, facial uh, appearance. So these are uh, some of the ways that we can reflect about the ill effects of dosa, all forms of anger, ill will or hatred. And so reflecting on these ill effects and seeing what uh, unwholesome and bad benefits it brings, then we will be able to let go of that anger or ill will. And with that, then we can continue to engage in the metta meditation practice. And then following these reflections on the dangers of dosa, we also should reflect on the qualities and benefits of patience. Patience um, means kanti in Pali. And this means that we are tolerant and patient and do not retaliate with anger when we are abused, scolded, shouted at, or even ill-treated. Because if we fall prey to uh, an angry reaction, then this anger in ourselves uh, as a negative, unwholesome mental state will actually hurt ourselves in turn again. So it's not only not beneficial uh, for the other, uh, not nice to be shouted at, but uh, we ourselves hurt ourselves by uh, engaging in actions uh, based on dosa. And so if we are in doubt 
with patience, with kanti, then it is said that we will be liked and loved by uh, many people. And when there is patience in the mind, then the mind stays clear, free from the influence of the defilements. And so with that, uh, we can still think clearly and then make appropriate decisions. And so then what we do um, will not be faulty or will not make mistakes. And also when there is patience and uh, when there is patience at the time of death, so we will not die with a confused mind, but rather die with a calm and peaceful mind. And this will favor a rebirth in a good plane of existence. It is also said that patience is the weapon of a virtuous person. Patience, Kanti, is one of the paramis, one of the perfections that need to be developed uh, to become liberated. And Kanti, patience, is also one of the blessings, one of the mangalas. My teacher, Jamie Sayadaw, very often said in his talks, Patience leads to Nibbana. Impatience leads to hell. So, when our mind is filled with patience, then the world will always appear pleasant and it will have a healthy glow. And finally, it is also said that the power of patience is like the power of an army which can resist the enemy. Metta meditation, as I said, is a very uh, beneficial practice for ourselves and others. And many times the Buddha mentioned uh, that we should uh, engage in this practice, that we should develop metta as well as the other brahma-viharas. And there is also a discourse called the Discourse on Loving-Kindness, or it is also known as the Metta Sutta. And there was quite an interesting incident which led the Buddha to deliver this discourse on loving-kindness. So at one time, there was a group of 500 monks who uh, went in search for a place where they could spend uh, Vasa. Vasa is the three-month period during the rainy season. And this is a time that uh, is dedicated to the practice of meditation, mostly. And so the, this group of 500 monks took leave from the Buddha and they walked a couple of days in search for a suitable place for them to stay and uh, practice meditation. And so then on the second day they came to a, quite, uh, to a quite big forest which had a little creek with clear water and so they decided that this would be quite an ideal place to stay. And it also had a village nearby and this was crucial for them because they needed uh, a village and people to offer them alms food. They would go with the alms bowl on alms round every day to get some food. So when they had decided that this forest was a good and suitable place, 
they started to settle in there. And the villagers from the nearby village were actually quite happy that the monks uh, stayed in that forest to practice meditation. And they were ready to offer them uh, alms food. But the monks didn't know that this forest was inhabited by so-called three devas. As I've mentioned, devas are beings which normally live in the heavenly realms. But some of the devas are earthbound devas. They live here on earth and they live in trees, in bushes. And so with the intrusion of this huge group of monks, 500 monks coming to stay in that forest, the devas felt a bit frightened and anxious and they didn't feel comfortable any longer. But at first they thought that these monks would just pass through and that they would leave after a day or a few days. But after uh, several days, these three devas realized that these monks would not move on and that they actually wanted to stay there for the next three months. And so, uh, really feeling uncomfortable of having them there and it affected the way uh, of living. So the devas thought of a way of how they could uh, get rid of the monks or chase them away. And so then in the evenings, after it uh, was getting dark, they started to produce frightening sounds and created uh, terrible visions. And so the monks, hearing these very frightening sounds and some of them seeing these uh, frightening visions, they got really scared. But first of all, they did not talk to each other, each monk thinking that only he uh, had these frightening visions. But after a few days, when he didn't stop, each night the devas uh, produced these frightening sounds and visions. So then finally uh, they started to talk to each other. And so they came to realize that actually all of these 500 monks uh, were greatly disturbed by what was happening in the past few nights. And actually all of them were saying that there was no way to develop uh, any insight or concentration and that it was impossible to stay on there. And finally they decided to leave that place and go back to the Buddha and ask him for a better, more suitable place to stay. So then they left, walked back to the place where the Buddha was staying and approached him, telling him what they had encountered and requesting him to please tell them a different location where they could go and practice meditation. And the Buddha, with his omniscience, he looked over the whole world, but he could not find any spot that was more suitable than exactly that forest where the monks had been staying. And so he told the monks that the best and most suitable place for them to practice meditation was exactly the forest where they had been and that they should return to that place. But the monks uh, were not happy about that, that and said, oh no, please don't send us back to that forest. You know, it's really impossible to practice meditation. But the Buddha insisted that they go back there. And then the Buddha said, you know, before you have been, you went to this place without a weapon to protect yourself or to defend yourself. But this time I will give you a weapon so that you are protected and that you can defend yourself. And with that, the Buddha taught the Metta Sutta. 
he gave the discourse on loving kindness. And after that, he instructed the monks of how to develop loving kindness. And with that, he uh, said they should go back to that place. And so the monks left the monastery and walked back to that forest. And already on the way, they started to develop loving kindness in the way the Buddha had instructed them. And so finally, um, when they arrived back at that forest, now the devas, which previously had uh, been hostile um, to these monks, now their hostility, their anger and resentment completely disappeared when they felt the metta radiating from the monks, when they became aware that they had no bad intentions at all, but that each of these monks um, just had the best of intentions, wishing all living beings to be happy and well. And so with that, the three devas no longer attacked the monks or no longer created frightening visions and sounds. On the contrary, they even provided safety for the monks and protected the monks from other dangers. And so in this way, they supported the monks in their practice so that they could practice without any disturbances. And for them, then it was uh, fine to go back on the trees and live there harmoniously uh, with the monks. And so, then after a while, after having practiced metta meditation, the monks switched to practice Vipassana meditation and by the end of the three months, by the end of Vasa, all of the 500 monks had become arahants, which means they had all become fully uh, liberated. Of course, the Buddha had foreseen this. He knew that this what that this what that this was what was going to happen and that's why uh, he sent them back to that forest giving them the weapon of metta meditation. And also the monks then realized, reflecting back on their experience, that when they first went there, they uh, were not sufficiently uh, prepared that they lacked this protection. But then having based their vipassana meditation on metta meditation, the practice went more smoothly. And with that, they all attained uh, liberation. So metta is without doubt a very powerful and wholesome force that always can be depended upon for protection. Metta, as I said, is free from the defilements. And the defilements are very often compared to a fire, a fire which burns within our heart and mind, in our body. And especially with the defilement of anger, hatred, becomes very obvious. A very angry uh, person, you know, then that person feels hot, starts sweating, the, red, the face gets all red, and maybe even the veins may start sticking out. So it's quite obvious, it's like a fire burning inside. Metta on the other side uh, is described as being peaceful or cool and refreshing. It's refreshing like spring water. Because when all the fires 
are extinguished, when no more fires are burning, then, yeah, it cools down. Or it's also, metta is also compared like staying in the shade of a tree. So if one has been out in the hot sun, then it feels very nice and refreshing to take rest in the shade of a large tree. And so therefore, uh, it is also said, uh, the shade of metta, or to live in the shade of metta. So life is definitely much nicer when we spend it in the cool and refreshing shade of metta, rather than walking on a hot and dusty road, scorched by the sun, uh, devoured uh, by the fires of the defilements. So let me conclude this talk with a quote from His Holiness the 17th Karmapa, who is a high-ranking monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. So he said, From the time we open our eyes in the morning until we sleep at night, if we can pass the whole day with a kind and loving heart and a cheerful face, our mind will be relaxed when we go to sleep at night. On the other hand, if we spend the day making others upset, if we fight, and even if we win, when we are going off to sleep at night, we will have regrets, and our mind will not be at ease. So may all of you be able to develop strong and genuine metta, and in this way, radiating loving-kindness over the entire world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.